that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. The task which has been set us is not above our strength, long as we have faith. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. God's work must truly be our own. You know, history, history is shaped by movements, isn't it? As you go back and look at history and study history, you can see a lot of movements that have shaped the world. And, and there are movements like that some are noble and some, some maybe aren't, but like the Greeks and the Greeks that are desire to uh, have this movement to Hellenize the world, or the Romans and the movement to, to conquer the world, or, or communism and, and the movement towards socialism, or even capitalism and, and the movement toward wealth. Uh, or we see these other movements that have come along throughout history. Uh, we even see the Arab Spring and this movement toward radical Islam. And you see this happening throughout the world. I was reading in Time Magazine. And Time Magazine in 2011 talked about there were 10 great movements that have shaped the United States. Shaped who we are. And you start looking through some of those movements and you're like, yeah. I mean, you can see, you know, you see the first movement of the... Boston Tea Party, right? Taxation without representation. And you, you see this movement that really shaped our freedom. And we see that today, even we feel that today, the freedom that we have. And so you see these movements that have come along even in our own country, or the civil rights movement, or the women's suffrage movement, or the, or the labor union movement, or the Tea Party movement, or the Occupy Wall Street movement, all these different movements that have come. But as you look at these different movements, here's the thing that they all have in common. One, they have a powerful cause, right? They have a cause that people rally around. The second thing is they have a prominent leader. There's a leader that takes charge. There's a leader that kind of emerges from this movement. And the third thing they have are passionate followers, people who jump on board in whatever the cause is. It's like, look at the civil rights. I mean, you know, incredible cause, this powerful cause, rallying our nation. And there's also a prominent leader, Martin Luther King Jr., who, who spoke up, who stood up as a, as a Christian, right, who called out the injustice of what's happening in our society. And then you see passionate followers, men and women who are willing to give their lives to this cause. But with every movement that you've seen in the world, and every movement you've seen in the United States, there's, they don't last, do they? There's always something that comes back and pushes back, and you, you see this tug of war. There's only one movement that has been unstoppable. There's only one movement that has transformed all of history, and that is this movement, the greatest movement of all, God's church. The church. Jesus was with his disciples one day, and they were out at Caesarea Philippi, and it was kind of a, a place where there were a bunch of idols, and, and Jesus was out there, and, and Jesus said to the guys, he says, Hey, guys, who do men say that I am? You know, all the talk that's out there about me, who, who do men say that I am? And, and, and they start throwing out names. You know, some say Elijah. You know, some say Jeremiah. They're kind of going old school prophets back then. And, and, and Jesus goes, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. And I love Peter, right? I mean, Peter's just kind of always impetuous. He's jumping in. Sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth. But, but Peter, he goes, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God, right? He was just saying, you are the Lord. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the hope of the world. And Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And upon this rock, 
the confession of the faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. And they're all probably looking at each other going, church? What's that? You know, because it, it wasn't around. It wasn't a word you used a whole lot. In Greek, it means ekklesia. It's the called out ones. And they're looking at each other going, church? And he's like, yeah, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then Jesus said this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, come on, guys. We're a part of something huge. We're a part of a movement of God. And it's going to transform the world. A powerful cause? Yes. Bringing hope and light into the darkness. Glorifying God. Bringing help and love into a world of need. Prominent leader, Jesus Christ. He started the movement. He continues the movement today. And passionate followers, disciples, men and women who are willing to sacrifice everything for the glory of God. That's exciting. And that's the movement that we're a part of. Well, good morning. We're starting a brand new series today called Unstoppable. And I'm so excited about this series. Because this series, we're talking about the church. And we're going to be studying the book of Acts. And we're going to look at the early part of the church and the early disciples and how they lived and what they did and how God was starting a movement that has transformed the world and transformed us. That we are forever changed. You see, the church is God's vehicle for accomplishing his work in the world. It's how God accomplishes his work in the world. It's through the church. The church becomes the hands and feet of Christ. The church is the body, the bride of Christ. The church is not an organization. The church is an organism. She is alive. And she is moving. And we're a part of a movement. A movement that has reshaped the world and reshaped us. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the words on the screen and you can follow along with what God's Word has to say. But Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts is right after, you know, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels all talking about Jesus and what Jesus did and the miracles that Jesus did. And then his death, his burial, his resurrection, praise God. And then you come into the book of Acts. And Acts stands for the Acts of the Apostles. Now more correctly, it should be the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles, right? But, but it stands for the Acts of the Apostles. Here's what happened. Here's the early church. Here's what God is doing in the world and changing history. So pick up here in Acts chapter 1 and look at the leader, right? The leader of the greatest movement. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven... After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So who's writing this? It says in my former book. It's Luke. Luke was a physician, a doctor. So in his former book was the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is kind of volume one, right? It talked all about Jesus and what Jesus did on this earth. And then volume two is Acts. And so here we go. You know, we're moving here from, from Jesus and, and the work that he did as he walked on this earth. We're moving into the church and we're seeing God blow life into the church. The Holy Spirit's coming. 
And he says, I write to you, right, in my former book, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, we're not exactly sure he was. A lot of people believe, you know, that he was a Roman official who was exploring Christianity. So I write to you, you know, most excellent Theophilus. But Theophilus also means Theo, right, is God, like theology, study of God. You know, so Theophilus also means friend of God. So think about this, that, that this book was written to anybody who's a friend of God. This book was written to you and to me. And he says, hey, I got to tell you, it's all about Jesus, right? I'm going to tell you what he did after his suffering that he showed himself. And he gave many convincing proofs to these, these men, these disciples over a period of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. And so you start to see God's work, the transformation that happens. The leader of the greatest movement is Jesus Christ. The leader of the church is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus started the movement and he continues the movement today. And this call to you and to me to be a part. Now the fuel of the greatest movement, the fuel of the greatest movement, look at verse 4. He says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus, and he's like, hey guys, there's a gift that God has promised to you. And the gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift is God himself indwelling in you. This, this is powerful, because right there he says, you know, for John baptized with water, right? Pick up in verse 5. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, baptism wasn't a, a, a new idea. Baptism was something that the Jews were already practicing. In fact, if you were to go to worship at the temple, they have a lot of mikvah pools. That's what they call them, mikvah pools. They were big kind of dug out pools that were there. And as you came into the temple, you would stop at a mikvah pool and you would wash yourself. You were baptize yourself to cleanse yourself before you went up into the temple to worship. And, and what Jesus says, that's a baptism of repentance. You know, I've done some wrong, I'm repenting. But Jesus says, in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You remember when Jesus was baptized? What happened? A dove came into sin on the Holy Spirit came down. See, this, this is what transforms this movement than anything else. The power of the Holy Spirit working in you, working in me. And back in the Old Testament, if you wanted to see God... You would have to go to the tabernacle or you would have to go to the temple, right? In the New Testament, when Jesus came, now the invisible God is made known as he walks around the incarnate Christ, Jesus walking around. So you could come over and you could hear Jesus, you could be around Jesus, but still Jesus was right there. Now as you move into Acts, what happens when you and I make that confession of our faith? Jesus Christ is Lord. I am surrendering my life to him. God places his Holy Spirit within you. You become the hands and feet of Christ. You become the church. And the church is not a building, right? You can go to a lot of different places. And you can see a lot of different kind of buildings. The church is the body. The church is the people. You and I are the church. And God's placed his Holy Spirit within us. Now, if you go back, Jesus had told the disciples, he said, 
Guys, I know, I know you're getting worried because I'm telling you that I'm going to leave. But, but listen, don't worry because there's one greater than I who's coming. And they're going, who's greater than you? You know, they couldn't get But what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, the, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, he indwells us, the Spirit of God in us. In John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. We'll dive into this more next week. But he said the Holy Spirit's role is three parts. One, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit guides us. We pray and God gives us wisdom and God gives us direction. And you're going, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of working in you. Maybe you're here today and you've got some big decisions in life coming up. And you've kind of made lists, and you've done pros and cons, and you're kind of laying it out. And I want to challenge you, as a Christ follower, start to pray. And ask other people, pray with me, pray for me, pray that I would have wisdom, pray that I would have discernment. And God will speak to you. I'm telling you. You know, and maybe it's not an audible voice coming to say, hey, do this, that job, you know, do this or date this person. But you will know in your heart of hearts, you will go, oh, yeah, that's what God's telling me to do. That's what God, you will know. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is your counselor. Your Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit, the second role in our lives, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Now, we know this role of the Holy Spirit, right? You're getting ready to do something, you're like, ah, shouldn't do it. Where does that come from? Where is that check in your heart? Where is that check? It's the Holy Spirit. Praise God because God is doing a movement. God is going one direction. And when you and I start to veer off, the Holy Spirit convicts us. We need that in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives convicting us and drawing us back to the heartbeat of God. The third role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the comforter. Comforter. See, Jesus knew that there was going to be challenges. There were going to be difficulties being a part of the movement. There was going to be some struggles and persecution. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings comfort in our lives. Maybe you're here today, and there's some hard things going on. Maybe you're here today, and you're struggling. And from the outside, you're putting on a good show. You're like, okay, everything's fine. But inside, you're going, whoa, I need help. I need help. Praise God, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. And when you sense the peace of God, whether it's in worship or whether you sense the peace of God as you hear the word, whether you sense the peace of God going, you know what, it's going to be okay. God is sovereign. God is in control. The Holy Spirit is the one in you. The Holy Spirit is the fuel of God's church. The Holy Spirit is the life for you and for me and for all believers united and as a part of this movement. Praise God. That's why the movement has transformed history. The role of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus gives the plan. He says, here's the plan for the greatest movement. And he tells it to him, verse 6. It says, and when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> I, there were still some misconceptions about the movement, right? When Jesus came into Jerusalem, a lot of the people thought he was a political messiah. And that's why the Romans and the Jewish leaders had him crucified. Because they, were, they thought he was a, leading a political movement, a political rebellion. And Jesus was going, no, 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 no. It is so much more. It is a spiritual movement. It's a transformation from the inside out. From what I'm doing in people's hearts and lives. And the grace and the love and the forgiveness. 
And there was still some confusion. Are you, you going to restore Israel? Is it all about Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power, look at verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, here's the plan. Here's the plan for the greatest movement. You. You'll be my witnesses. You just go out and you share. You go out and you tell what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in the world. He doesn't say you have to go out and argue people into the kingdom. You have to go out and debate people. You have to go out and win people. He just said, you go out and be a witness. You go out and testify. There is a world out there that is looking for help and looking for hope. You are my witnesses. You go out. And I'm sure these disciples look at each other going, us? <laughs> We're fishermen, man. It's like, yeah, but you've seen what I've done. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you just go out and you talk. You share. You don't hold it in. You don't sit on the sidelines and kick back and get some popcorn and watch everybody else kind of live it out. You get in the game you engage. And he said, look, I'll just kind of lay out the whole outline for you. It starts in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is, is kind of where, that was their home. That's where they were, right? He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, as you look at that for us, our Jerusalem is our home. It starts at our home. If you are a mom or dad, you have a huge calling and a huge responsibility. And that's to share the love of Christ in your home. You know, where else are our kids going to learn about Jesus? School? No. I mean, on the internet? I mean, where else are they going to learn about the Word of God? Where else are they going to learn about the hope that they have in Christ? Where else are they going to learn about the peace and the love and the joy? Where else are they going to learn about how they are called to live and their self-worth and their value, not being tied to the things of the world, but being tied to Christ and what Christ has done for them? Where are they going to learn that? It's at home. It's you. It's me. It, it starts at home. He says, be a witness at home. Talk about me at home. And a lot of times we talk about a lot of other things, but are we talking about Christ? Are we helping raise up a generation in Christ? And he says, hey, you know what, Jerusalem, Judea, Judea was kind of their community. Their, their community area, in your community. You see, God puts you where you are for a reason and for a purpose. Nobody else in the world has the sphere of influence that you do. They don't. Nobody, nobody, there's very few people who live in your home. You live in your neighborhood or live in your apartment complex or work where you work. You may be the only believer, the only Christ follower at work. And you're going, God, this is hard. And God's going, well, I got you there. <laughs> I put you there. You know, you've got an opportunity there. And then in your country. Samaria for, for them was a part of their country. But, but the, the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. In fact, when they were up in Galilee, they would literally walk around that whole part of the country because they didn't even want to step foot in Samaria. And Jesus lays it out there. Hey, even the Samaritans, you know, people in your country, people you don't like, maybe people you don't get along with, but you know what? You go and be a witness. And then to the ends of the earth. You, you go to the ends of the earth. And I bet these guys are looking at each other like, ends of the earth, man, we, we haven't been out of our country. I mean, we've been fishermen, and we come down to Jerusalem, and that's it for us. And he's going, oh, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. What? 
Some of you, you, when you grew up, you didn't think that God was going to call you to go and do mission trips all over. And now you're seeing God call you. You're taking the gospel different places. You're like, man, I can't believe this. Yeah. Jesus goes, it's, it's a simple plan. It's a movement that's going to happen. It's organic. It's something that you do for the glory of God. That you and I get involved and not sit back. And then he talks about the disciples, the passionate followers, the disciples of the greatest movement. And here's what he tells them. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So here's Jesus, and he tells them, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. So they're standing here on the Mount of Olives, right? And they're hearing this, this, this talk, and they're hearing this, the church, and, and now there he goes. And they're like, okay, now what? And it says they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, I always think this is hilarious to me because here they are, you know, they're having this emotional, this powerful time with Jesus. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. They're just standing there looking up. And then these two angels appear dressed in white. You know, I can imagine they kind of tap them on the shoulder. They're like, what, you know? Wow, you know, it's like an angel, right? What is going on? And what do the angels say? The angels say to him, hey, guys, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why are you just standing here? Come on. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The angels basically say, come on, guys, get to work. He told you what he wants you to do. He told you what was going to happen. Now go live it out. Now go be a part of the story. So they did. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Okay, now we know about those guys, right? Jesus had 12 disciples that followed him around. Judas, we'll see what happened to him in just a second. But here's, now we're down to 11, all these 11 disciples. But they weren't alone. Look what it says. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Notice that. I think this is powerful because a lot of times when we think about disciples, we think about the Bible, we think about guys who are like stoic, you know, and they, they were perfect. They knew all the scriptures. They, they knew all the right Bible verses. They could find the books of the Bible really quickly. I mean, we think about that, right? But they weren't. These guys were ordinary people like you and me. They were men and women like you and me. Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times. I mean, Peter wasn't perfect. None of these guys were perfect. They were just in love with Jesus. <laughs> I think it's amazing that, that, you know, here's Mary, Jesus' mom. She was there. I mean, you know, as a mom, you know, you're going to be there. You're like, but you know who else was there? Look, it says, Jesus' brothers. To me, this is such a powerful part for, of the story because... Jesus' brothers, if there's anybody who's going to call you out as a fake or a phony, it's going to be your brother, right? And they're just going to be like, no way, dude. You know, I'm not buying this whole divinity thing. I'm not buying this whole your God thing. I mean, your brother, but, but his brothers are there. And his brothers aren't getting like a salary for being there. They're, they have no 
reason to be there. In fact, Jesus was just crucified in Jerusalem. They're putting their lives on the line. Every one of these guys was martyred for their faith. They invested their lives. They knew Jesus was the hope of the world. Jesus still is the hope of the world. Jesus is worth our lives and everything in us. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. About 120 believers, okay? Christ followers. Here's the early church, 120. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field, in their language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. Now we know what happened to Judas, right? Judas was one of the disciples. He traveled around with Jesus. We know from Scripture that Judas was the one who kept the money. And it also tells us that Judas would pull out of the money every now and then. You know what? Judas, for Judas, money became his God. And it's such a danger. And for Judas, his faith was in money. And he even sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver to sell out the Son of God. But money ruled his life. And so much so that once he realized what he had done and he had the money and he realized, wait a minute, this doesn't satisfy. This isn't it. It's Jesus. I missed it. And he goes back in and he throws the money back at the chief priest and says, I don't want it. And then he runs out. And the Bible tells us he hung himself. Now, he could have asked for forgiveness. He could have stopped at any moment and called out to God. But he he didn't, and he hung himself, and he fell headlong, and all that happened. And Peter says, right, keeps going, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Now, this was written in the Psalms. This was written, I mean, hundreds of years, like 900 years before all this happened. All of these prophecies in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Christ, and all are fulfilled in Jesus. It's amazing. God has been at work the whole time. This is a part of God's plan. God has put this into motion. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these will become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so what you see is this, the discipleship process. The calling out of disciples. And now the generations come to us. We are the disciples of the greatest movement. And here's three things that I want you to see about a disciple. Number one is this, a disciple is chosen. A disciple is chosen. Look at verse 2. You know, it says, After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles... He had chosen. Jesus chose his disciples. And Jesus chose you. Jesus chose you. For this time in history, 
Jesus chose you. And he has been drawing you to himself. Now, doesn't it feel good to be chosen? I mean, isn't it great when you're, you know, remember being a kid and out at recess, and you're playing kickball, and they're picking teams, and they would pick you, and you'd be like, yes, you know? <laughs> or when you, you apply for college, and you get that acceptance letter, and you're like, yes, you know? Or you apply for a job, and you, you get the job, and you're just like, yeah, it feels great to be chosen. Well, think about this. The God of the universe <laughs> chose you. The God of the universe invites you to be a part of what he's doing. That's incredible. The God of the universe knows your name. He chose you. He loves you. He believes in you. A disciple is chosen. The second thing is this. A, a disciple is committed. A disciple is committed. A disciple is all in. A disciple is not a, a, a spectator. A disciple is a participant. You know, the word disciple literally means learner. That's what you're doing. In the Bible, in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. 269 times. Why? Because God's inviting you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. God's inviting you to learn and to grow and to serve for his name and for his glory. You are called to be a disciple. Sometimes we think about, well, you know, I accept Christ, I become a follower of Jesus, but then one day I'm a disciple. Almost like a split level, you know, that, that I'll enter into discipleship later on. I'll, I'll start to grow in my faith later on. No, 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 no. When you make that confession of your faith, Jesus Christ is my Lord, right? And God invites you into this relationship with him. Salvation happens in an instant. Boom, you are saved, you are redeemed, you are restored. Sanctification takes a lifetime. But it begins right there. When you come to know Christ, you begin this journey with him. To grow deeper in your relationship with him. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. And God is not finished with any of us yet. God is still working in our lives. But God's calling us to be committed. We don't just sit back and go, well, I think I'm going to learn something today. We have to engage. And we commit. We commit everything in us for the glory of God. You think about all the disciples who've gone before us. And many who've given their lives for the glory of God. And now it comes to us. The third thing about a, a disciple is they're called they're called to a mission. They're called to a purpose. They're called to be a part of something that only God can do. See, God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And sometimes you think about the purpose or the plan for your life, and you're saying, well, it's who I'm going to marry, or, you know, what job I'm going to have, or it's how much money I'm going to make, and then I'm going to retire, and I'm going to live out the golden years on this lake house or whatever else you kind of got in. And God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I got something way bigger than that. I, got some, I want you to help build my church, and it's going to last for generations. I want to use you to impact people you don't even know. I want to do something so great in your life that you make an impact and you leave a legacy that far outweighs you sitting on the shore of a lake for the rest of your life. I mean, come on, join in to what I'm doing. Be a disciple. So it comes down to this. They proposed two men. Joseph 
called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Do you see what they're doing here? You see the generations? You see the church growing. And for all of us, there's been people in our lives that have impacted us, right? We need people in our lives pouring into us. We need people helping disciple us, helping us grow, helping us learn. But for all of us, we need to be discipling others. We need to be raising up the Matthias. We need to be pouring into the people coming behind one of my heroes in the faith was a guy named Truett Cathy, right? He made billions off of Christian chicken. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it's awesome. I mean, Chick-fil-A, I mean, amazing, amazing, amazing. I love it. I eat there probably three times a week. It's just, it's great. It's too close. But, I mean, Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A. How crazy. He said we didn't invent the, you know, chicken. We did, did invent the chicken sandwich, and it was really a good invention, you know. And uh, they made billions. But you know what I love about Truett Cathy? For 50 years, Truett Cathy, at his church, taught 7th grade boys Sunday school. 50 years. Now, if anybody could say, you know, well, I'm pretty busy right now. I got a lot going on. I got Chick-fil-A's going up all over, you know. I got to take my jet, and I'm flying all over the world. I got got a lot of things to do. But for him to say, you know what, if I'm going to impact generations for the glory of God, it's not just going to be through a chicken sandwich. It's going to be through people's lives. It's going to be passing on the legacy of Christ to those who come behind me. And as you look at this greatest movement, the generations have come to us. The generations have come to us. Now you think about the impact of the greatest movement. You think about it. You think about 120 believers gathered together in Jerusalem, a city probably of two million, and they're scared to death. Jesus has been crucified, and here they are huddled together. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and what do they do? They just do what Jesus said. I'm going to go be a witness. I'm going to go invite people to church. I'm going to go share the love of Christ. I'm going to go minister to the poor. I'm going to go take care of the broken. I'm just going to go do what Jesus called me to do. And do you know what happened? 300 years later, Constantine becomes the first Christian emperor of Rome. They transform Rome. Rome, whose whole movement was to conquer the entire world, and now all of a sudden Rome is being transformed from the inside out because some people became really passionate about what God was doing in the world and said, we want to build God's church. And throughout history, the church has transformed the world. And the church is the one who started hospitals and schools and hospice and universities. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all started by believers, right? For higher education. The church, people like William Wilberforce to abolish slavery throughout England. People like Elizabeth Fry's prison reform. People like Martin Luther King Jr., people like Billy Graham, people who've said, hey, for the glory of God, we are going to build his church, and I'm going to invest my life for his name and for his glory. And now we're the link in the chain. 
And Jesus is coming back one day, and he's not coming back for a nonprofit, as good as they are, right? He's not coming back for a university, as great as they are. He's not coming back for a hospital. He's coming back for his church. And you and I have an incredible privilege to be a part of something way bigger than us. And you and I have the opportunity to give our lives to a cause that will transform generations. From 120 believers in Jerusalem to over 2 billion people today who profess the name of Jesus. God's doing something big. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me to be a part of it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't fall in love with money or the things or stuff and say, oh, I missed it. You and I have the opportunity. Let's live it. Let's live it with everything in us for his name and for his glory. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you today? Really, search your heart. Where are you today? First of all, has there been a time when you've said yes to Christ? When Jesus asked his disciples, but who do men say that I am? And then he turned around and said, but who do you say that I am? Has there been a time that you've had a profession of faith? You know, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the Lord of my life. You're the joy of my heart. And I'm living my life for you. When you pray that prayer, God places his Holy Spirit within you. You are no longer an orphan, a spiritual orphan, looking for hope and looking for life. You are redeemed and you are restored. And you are invited to be a part of something huge. If you are a disciple today, are you committed? Are you passionate? Are you investing in his church? It's so easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. And maybe if you searched your heart today, you could say, wow, some things have taken the place of God in my life. Maybe it's money or success or image. But today, just saying, Christ, may you be exalted in me. May you be exalted in me. And may I be a witness for you. God, use me for your glory. Whatever you want to do, Father, here I am. I'm yours. I don't want to miss it. Oh God, I get one shot, one chance. And I want to live my life for you. So Father, here we are today. Your disciples. Your disciples in 2016. Gathered together, seeking you, following you, worshiping you. Father, I pray you would search our hearts. And I pray, God, you you won't let us miss it. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lead us and guide us. Convict us. Comfort us, God, when we need it. But Father, let us invest everything for your name and your glory. 
I pray it would start at home. <laughs> I pray in every one of our homes that Christ would be lifted up. And I pray it would spread to our community, our country, and the world. Father, here we are, your church. And we commit our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we worship. Amen.